Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 47 with Anthony Hayes. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to the My Personal Football Coach podcast. Um, look, we're living in very strange times. I've uh, been holed up here in the house, uh, almost on lockdown. Uh, so uh, look, just the next couple of weeks, I'm going to record as many podcasts as possible and try and get you guys as much content as possible to uh, keep you ticking over uh, while we're all stuck here at home. Uh, we've had loads and loads of inquiries about the club partnership as well. Please bear with us. We're trying to get all you clubs online. Uh, we're doing like a 70% discount, trying to give it uh, as close as cost as possible to help all you clubs out there all around the world to give you your players uh, some quality e-learning while they're all stuck at home. So, um, yeah, please bear with us. Like I said, we're going to get all you guys online ASAP. And uh, so into the show straight away, basically, we've got a fantastic guest. Uh, this was one of the most engaging hours I've had uh, in a long time, speaking to Anthony Hayes, and he's a top-class coach. He's currently uh, the uh, coach at Charlton Athletic, does the under-18s there. Charlton Athletic, uh, if you don't know, is one of the best academies in the country. I think it came seventh in a recent uh, poll of uh, the in the ratings of the best academies in terms of the players they're producing, players like Joe Gomez, obviously, is Liverpool. Long, proud track record of uh, producing quality players and for a relatively small club. Uh, they really do um, produce top draw players and, you know, I think they're category, category, category two academy, so always punching above their weight. So really interesting to find out, you know, what goes on behind the scenes there, what makes them such a quality academy with such a consistent uh, quality output of players. Uh, he's had a great, long, illustrious career in terms of uh, he's worked uh, worked way up at Charlton there. Uh, before that, he was at Brentford, uh, working under Ozzie Asbangi in uh, at Brentford. Uh, people might not understand uh, the quality uh, of um, provision that was going on at Brentford at the time. Had some of the best uh, coaches and recruitment people in the country there. So he's got a lot of value to share. Uh, talks about his time in America as well and uh, how he's progressed through the ranks now, uh, working. Uh, to the 18s uh, he's a class act um, and really interesting engaging guy so I know you're going to enjoy it um, so uh, stay tuned like I said um, I'm, I've got about six or seven podcasts uh, recording in the next week or so so I'm going to get them out as quick as possible and uh, try and get all you guys uh, keep all you guys engaged while we're all stuck uh, inside here stay safe guys so Anthony Hayes welcome to the show can you uh, Thanks, just, give us a, just uh, give us a brief description of your playing and coaching journey up to this point please yeah, so playing-wise, uh, from the Republic of Ireland, uh, played in the League of Ireland for two clubs, uh, Athlone Town, which is where I'm from, uh, it's the national club where I'm from, and Limerick uh, FC, uh, so overall six seasons in League of Ireland from 16 up to just shy of uh, just shy of 20, 21. Stopped playing at 20, um, did my cruciate uh, ligaments, um, had my B licence, and that's really where my, my real interest in coaching came. Uh, went to America, um, lived over there for a year, worked with UK Lead Soccer, uh, met my now wife, uh, who's from London, followed her back to London, uh, got into the community grassroots coaching side of things with Westway Sports Centre first, uh, and then Brentford in the community. 
uh, then had an opportunity to get into the academy side of things at Brentford. Uh, got a full-time uh, job there. Was there for six seasons in various positions. Obviously, when the academy closed, I moved on to Charlton. I've been there for four seasons now, so I'm at Charlton currently. Fantastic. So, um, a great journey there, great story. So, just tell us a little bit about that, the first coaching experience in America. I remember I, I went to America as well. It was a really important part of my career because I felt just there were so many hours on the grass. A real great place to sort of, you know, cut your teeth in the, in the coaching game, as it were. Tell us a little about your experiences out there. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I think exactly that. I think I looked at it um, as a chance just to get contact hours uh, because my experience of actually coaching uh, daily was was very limited. So I used it for exactly that. Uh, the company itself were excellent. You know, they give us a great variety of um, of opportunities out there. You know, from real young ones from like threes and fours. I think they called it UK Petite, mm-hmm. um, and then. Uh, and then you went all the way through, you know, up until, you know, college teams, um, female, male, uh, then you had mixed teams as well, uh, recreational stuff. So it was a real broad um, variety of, of experiences out there. But the main, the main, um, the main, I suppose, exposure I got was, was the contact, which was crucial for me. What, what are your, like, your, your first, you know, your major takeaways when you first started coaching there? What your first experiences like in terms of, like, you know, what are the first lessons you learned in terms of delivering quality sessions and working with all those different age groups? I think uh, I've always looked at coaching and probably looking at this from when I was a player, I always wanted to be uh, engaged, I always wanted to be challenged, I always wanted to be inspired and, and I suppose my greatest taking from America, obviously getting the experience to coach regularly, um, was if you could have a group of mixed ability kids, um, mixed gender kids, you know, male, female, boys, girls, um, and inspire them and engage them for an hour, 75 minutes, 90 minutes, uh, challenge them in, in a variety of ways. That for me was always um, the, the biggest, uh, I, I don't know, the biggest feeling I got coming away from it that, yeah, I've actually helped, affected, challenged, motivated, inspired and. And that's what, I, what I've taken with me. And obviously, when I started, I wanted to try and get into the professional game full-time. And I feel if you can inspire those kids who have less ability, and obviously, you know, you're working with, you know, lesser equipment, not great facilities. Um, but if the kids can, can come away with, you know, a bit of a sweat on, you know, they've, they've enjoyed it. Uh, there's a nice feel and buzz around. I, I think you've half done your job. For me, you know, one of my main original takeaways there was really about personality. Like you mentioned that, about working with, especially those younger ones. I remember doing those, you know, four or five-year-old camps, three hours where, you know, the players couldn't really kick a ball. But it was just about delivering some, like you say, delivering something which is going to catch their imagination. And I think I even took that into academy football with like nines, tens, elevens, twelves, about that intensity and keeping that captive audience. What's your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I think, um, you know, my skill set, um, which I'm sure will come to, I think my skill set is best suited to, you know, probably 15s and above. Um, when I first uh, started, naturally, you work with, you know, five, sixes, sevens, eights, nines, 10s. And even when I first came into the academy at Brentford, I worked at under 10s, 11s and 12s. And I think it's a totally different skill set. I think the more skillful coaches are those coaches because you nearly become an actor. Um, to try and you know 
inspire enthuse you have to obviously go down to their level in terms of how you communicate how you demonstrate how you speak to kids you know one-to-one or even in a group setting um so 100 percent i i remember one of the games they used to do i think it was called shrek or something like that but you know you used to get kids and these are the real young american kids now three and four hiding behind the football um, and you used to have to join in with another coach leading it and little things like that just to kind of uh, get on their level but I, I think you nearly become an actor when you work with with that real young level of kids and, and I do think the coaches who specialise in those areas are are real um, are real good actors because um, I, I don't mean I, I mean actors in terms of you know like they're, they're able to get on their level not as if they're uh, they're pretending but you know they speak to the kids at their level and they're able to get wonderful buy-in from the kids because of how they interact. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, work, I worked under Tim Bradbury, who's a coach educator out there, still one of the best I've ever worked under and met. And he said the same, you know, you have to have a personality. If you don't have one, make one up. Like you said, like you'd be an actor, yeah. right? And it's about, you know, getting into those players and, and doing it. But talk a little bit about that. You know, another one for me was like, like you, you mentioned there about working with the fives and you working with the college uh, the college players as well it's, it's a great you know football education isn't it soccer education because you are getting so many hours hours on the grass with different age groups what was your major like the differences between working with those different age groups out there yeah well the variety was key because you know like we just spoke about when you work with the younger ones uh, you have to behave and act and speak in a totally different way than when you're dealing with you know the college kids and the college kids are at a good level over there um, you know technically there wouldn't be and, and, and this in my experience uh, was coming from Ireland so I had no experience of obviously the English game when I went to America so technically I actually thought the players weren't bad and I thought physically the players were actually excellent in, in America um, and the, the, the biggest I suppose uh, the biggest challenge I suppose is then how you then communicate to the older age groups because as you well know the older the players are the more savvy they get the more nouse they get probably have a little bit more personality and character and, and then you have to make sure the challenge remains appropriate um, for them and I think the older you get the challenge has to get harder and harder and harder because you're getting obviously closer to the to the senior game but uh, yeah, just a, a massive difference and a variety of experience between working with the kids, the real young kids, to then working with the uh, working with the college boys and girls. And and I actually my main experience with the college was with girls, um, and the level of uh, women's football in America was at a high level. That was back in 2010, and that's been proven in in recent years. Um, but obviously their successes nationally. So then, how long were we out in the states for? Only 11 months. Only did 11 months out in America. Um, and whereabouts um, were you in there? I was in New Jersey. Uh, so I was, I was based in a, in a town called Summit in New Jersey. And I was mainly working out of the New Jersey area. Okay. So, so, then, so, you, so you said you met, you met your wife-to-be and you, and you decided to travel back to London. So yeah. then you come back and you, you work, uh, you, go to, you get a job at Westway Sports Centre. I know Westway very well. I was at a session the other day. Uh, very, okay. very different sort of... Uh, group I imagine very different sort of uh, um, catchment area so we say very different types yeah. of players yeah personality wise and obviously social very economic so. and stuff like that so tell us a little bit about that no yeah so the opportunity came um, one of the uh, lads I, I 
worked with in UK Elite, uh, put me in touch with Robin Mallinson, who was the head of football uh, Westwear. I'm not sure if Robin is still there. I know he was down in Southampton. But when I came to London, I didn't have a job. So I was living in my uncle's flat. Um, he kindly put me up and I was basically out trying to get work and Westway was kind of my first um, my first p- piece of part-time work and yeah it was with uh, you know communities uh, community programs grassroots programs and again it was the real younger age groups you know six sevens eights you know you're talking about 20 30 kids in one of those 7v7 cages and um, and trying to one design a practice two trying to deliver a practice and three trying to satisfy all these mixed ability kids from you know various different backgrounds and it was a real challenge found it really really tough uh, initially um, but then I suppose you get to grips because obviously you know London kids are different uh, Irish kids are different uh, American kids um, they have a little bit about them some more so than others and then as well as that you know in the sevens and eights you would have players who have been into pro clubs you know and and have been at a host of pro clubs at that age so you would have some real I wouldn't call them A grade players but you could have you know some some B B B plus grade players and then you could have players who could barely walk or kick a ball so you had to try and um, you had to try and diversify your practice differentiate your practice and and try and make it enjoyable and challenging for everyone um, but again I, I really enjoyed it and it was my first real taste of coaching in in, uh, in in England, and I think it's it's really helped shape me because you know you mentioned the word personality, and uh, that that's a big part of it. Um, and I think you're constantly trying to find what your personality is as a coach, and then you try and transfer that into your coaching style. Now you carry and conduct yourself, but I also think how how you communicate is so important with people. Um, and I suppose the communication side of things, as well as the diversity, was was a wonderful learning experience there. I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? You said you, you mean you come from Ireland and you've gone to America. Like, I've been worked in America as well, New Jersey, very like you know wealthy communities mostly, and then you've gone into Westway where you know there's a big inner city community, a lot of working class kids, you know, probably a bit round yes. off the edges, and sort of must have been. That, is that was that the challenge in terms of the, the different sort of <laughs> dynamics and having to motivate and communicate with these the different sorts of personalities? Yeah, I think uh, I think the biggest thing was um, was the difference in the ability. So, you know, like I said, you'd have six, seven, eight-year-olds who had and ha- who had been and were going into pro clubs. Some even signed up pro clubs. And, you know, you were talking about maybe the Chelsea's and uh, Fulham's and, and clubs like that. And then, like I said, you would have just have normal run-of-the-mill run kids who just wanted to play for, you know, participation, enjoyment, um, social interaction. So, you know, you had to kind of marry those two up. And then you were... You were kind of dealt the hand of a, a very confined space to work in. So, you know, if you wanted to finish your your uh, your training session with games, which which everyone wants to do, you know, and you have 25 players, how do you do that in a in a clever in a clever design where everyone gets a little bit of equal playing time? You make it competitive, but also you make it quite competitive for the better players as well. So you have to be quite clever in how you maybe you match players up, and even that came into my thinking. Um, but Robin, to be fair to him, was very uh, was very keen on running it like a mini academy. So he wanted things like you know discipline imparted amongst the kids, and he ran it uh, professionally. Um, so again, it was it was a good uh, initial grounder for me when I first came over. So how do you do that, by the way, with the twenty five quids and a seven aside? 
25 kids in a seven-a-side cage with uh, match yeah, time. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, normally had uh, had four teams, uh, and what you would try and do is have obviously two playing, one off. You would have probably two or three coaches, and we would all be you know sessional coaches. But you would have one coach that would lead, and probably another coach or possibly two coaches that would assist. So you would have a game going on. You would try and have the other, uh, one coach working with another uh, team if you want, like technically like literally in a corner of a pitch like ball against the wall type thing and then another group literally watching um watching the games and maybe doing the task on the games just to try and keep their involvement and that was how we did it and i'm interested like in the early stages of your career i mean how what, what tell me about the process of session design and and how that came about and what did you draw on to do that i mean and have to, having to be adaptable in all these situations yeah, well, again, I probably started in America because, again, uh, there was a guy in America called Steve Jones for UK Elite Soccer, and he had experiences in England of working with Everton and Liverpool, and he was massive on planning sessions and getting into the habit of planning out your sessions for any eventuality, um, but running off themes, so there's a continuity of learning. Um, so that was kind of my first initial uh I suppose after the coach education side of things experience of okay well this is how you try and plan so you know warm up it could be a technical practice skill practice and a game as an example so I got into the habit of doing that very very early in America and I transferred that into Westway but I was a bit selfish in Westway as well because I tried things out you know I tried sessions out and I used it as a case of well I'm delivering to a real variety of kids, but I'm going to try and better myself here as well by trying sessions out that I like, that I haven't done before, that maybe I had ideas for that I could tweak and refine and, and then ultimately try and improve them. So I was a little bit selfish in that regard, working at Westway as well. Uh, but I've always, since my time in America, uh, got into the habit of planning um, sessions, having a framework to work and manoeuvre from, but that's also improved during my time specifically at Brentford, um, which I'm sure I'm sure we'll come to. Well, let's let's come to Brentford. I mean, you know, that is your that's a round a corner from Westway if you like down the road, a West London Academy. Uh, tell us about how that opportunity came about. <clears throat> so it came about my my brother my brother in law is Nico Yanaris, used to play at Arsenal. So um, his dad knew Sean O'Connor. Because uh, Sean obviously was the head of recruitment at, at Arsenal, or not head of recruitment, but he was involved in recruitment at Arsenal. And then Sean was brought into Brentford. So, you know, I was trying to get into clubs. I uh, went into Arsenal, met with Liam Brady, but there was nothing going. And obviously, you're not going to take a chance on an Irish kid with no coaching experience in England, even though I had a B license. But Brentford were obviously an academy that were very much so up and coming. Um, and my father-in-law basically um, said, listen, send me your CV. I'll send it on to Sean O'Connor. Sean came back to me um, and I met Stuart English, who was basically the assistant academy manager to Ozzy Abanji. had a chat with Stu. And for around, I would say, 10 weeks, I went down, you know, off my own accord just to watch and observe and see how they'd done things. And I was very fortunate because for me, Brentford will... Will and still is, you know, I still speak to the staff that are there. It's a very unique, forward-thinking, innovative environment. And for me, when I first kind of entered that in February 2011, I was surrounded by people who had wonderful experiences in the game, but also young people 
and young coaches who were desperate to learn and get better. So the environment was perfect for me. So you had Ozzy Abanji, who obviously spearheaded it. Sean O'Connor, from a recruitment point of view, who for me is the best in the business. Uh, Miguel Rios, who assisted him, and Miguel's Miguel's an excellent recruiter as well and very knowledgeable. Um, then you had, from a coaching point of view, again, Ozzy with his experiences, uh, Stuart English, um, who's now Birmingham City's assistant academy manager, Danny Buck, who was excellent with me when I first joined, as was people like uh, Josh Hinkson, who's at Arsenal now, I believe. Um, he used to pick me up. Um, in Harlesden and bring me to the training sessions and drop me back and I used to get a bus from Harlesden because I was living in Wilson at the time you know Gabriel Flores John D'Souza so many um, so many good good coaches that were down there that I could learn from and, and obviously I, could, I can call them pals now you know I still speak to them meet up with them and but a wonderful environment to work in and really that I would say that 18 month period from February 2011 18 months was an unbelievable acceleration of learning for me because I was exposed, challenged, failed, and was just in a, an excellent environment that wanted the best for the kids first and foremost, but also wanted to develop the staff. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, the the wealth of work, world-class talent that Brentford accumulated there. So obviously, I, I know Ozzy quite well. I was very close to going there myself, actually. But obviously, Danny okay. Buck, who's been on the show, is one of my mentors. You know, I worked under Spurs with Unbelievable. Like, say, Sean O'Connor, the best in the game. Ozzy's top draw. You know, John D'Souza, she had sort of top, top coaches. All these, you know, amazing uh, world-class environment. It's a relatively small club in West London. And um, yeah, and it often gets you know forgotten. Obviously, it was very sadly they when they closed it. Um, but and people only see now maybe the quality of all the players that came out of that program is quite unbelievable in terms of the the quality that they managed to produce there on this very small budget. Yeah, yeah, it was. Listen, I, I look back and I and you know, like I said, unbelievable people. Um, it was a very, very, very good club. Still is a very good club. It's a club that's obviously going places with their first team now. Uh, on the ver- well, they're certainly in the hunt for promotion. They've obviously got the new stadium as well, um, and they're unique, you know. And they're thinking, you know, it was obviously sad for us all um, when the academy closed because uh, we felt we were, you know, five years, six years into a ten-year project that was initially backed, and then obviously, you know, wasn't. Um, but you listen. You have to respect the decision. Um, we've all moved on, and I think that's that's a testament of the people that were there, but also the players that were there. The majority of the players have moved on to to good clubs, um, are finding their way in the game, uh, and the staff. The majority of us have all moved on to find positions at other clubs, both in full-time positions as well as in part-time positions. So it's a testament to to particularly how Aussie ran it because. Um, his uh, his way of, I suppose, developing coaches didn't suit everyone, um, but it suited me because I wanted to be a bit of a sponge, but I could also take a little bit of a battering. And uh, I suppose from a coach development side of things, that's where I felt Aussie, Stuart English and John D'Souza were a very, very good mix because Aussie could be quite brunt and quite harsh. Uh, Stuart would put your arm around the shoulder and John had the detail and I think between the three who ran our coach education program um, it was an excellent mix and for me you know the exact um, learning that I needed at that time in my career and I'm forever grateful to those people and you know you mentioned Danny Buck being a mentor and 
and Bucky was superb with me when I first started. I really did a lot of shadowing of him initially because he used to have, I remember going up to London Maccabi, he, under 15, 16 session, used to have nearly 40 players um, initially because they were obviously trying to get players in the door and improve the level of the squad and how he used to work them. And I mean work them. And uh, you obviously know Danny quite well. But um, brilliant, you know, brilliant learning curve. And, and those um, people, you know, Ozzy, Sean O'Connor, Stuart Lingus, John D'Souza, Danny Buck, I'd all consider them to be mentors if I had an issue or question. And I speak to them regularly anyway. Uh, I, I'd happily pick up the phone and just say, what do you think of this? And get some advice from them. But it was a, an excellent, an excellent environment. So, so tell, tell us then, what were your first impressions then? You go in there, you talk about going and observing. What were your first things that you noticed about it? Uh, standards. That was the first thing. Standards. Uh, standards are what was expected in terms of punctuality. Uh, what was expected in terms of how you look. Uh, you know, it was black boot rule with, with Aussie. You know, many people agree, disagree with that. But, uh, but also then shin pads, you know, shirt tucked into your shorts. So a real lot around discipline. Uh, and then and then ultimately uh, a lot around how you work and uh, a big thing for Ozzy was you know um, as time went on he wanted practices that were bespoke and and uh, differentiated but initially it was a case of well let's get the groups working let's get uh, he didn't want to see sessions where you know half the group weren't working you know there was cues and he always wanted at least 50% of the group working and I remember you know I was I was observing. It must have been six or seven weeks, and I remember going to I forget the place now. It was somewhere in West London, where they were based out of a school. It was a <laughs> excuse me, a sand-based astroturf, and I was still observing. You know, six or seven weeks in, and literally I was balls, bibs, and cones. You know, and taking notes and asking questions and getting balls in when they were doing practices and things like that, uh, which I don't think enough young coaches want to do now. Um, but that's another discussion. But I remember uh, it was the first time I had met Ozzy because my initial contact was with Sean and then with Stuart. So Ozzy came over to me and said, who are you? You know, and what's your name and what are you doing? And it was a Tuesday night. I'll never forget it. And he said to me, okay, lovely to meet you. And he walked over to Stu and he said, Stu, I want Anthony to coach next. Um, I just wanted to put on a session for a half an hour. And that was what Ozzy was like. Uh, he would make coaches sink or swim. And ultimately you know there's nerves you have to think in your fees I delivered a session I remember having a chat with Ozzy and, and Stuart afterwards I can't really remember the, the conversation afterwards but it went along the lines of I like you but you need to slow down how you talk uh, obviously I was Irish so I had a very f I had a flatter accent than what I have now I've been over here nearly 10 years but after that, I was allowed to come in twice a week to work with a group and then take a game at the weekend. Um, so that was kind of my introduction into into it, along with, um, you know, like I said, the real, the standards, the disciplines, and then actually getting the players working. Um, I think, so I think, was, I think, I think you've mentioned that a couple of times getting the play, players working. And obviously, I remember, I remember when Chris Ramsey, when again my first job, described Bucky as uh, Danny Bucker saying, you know, gets the kids working hard. And that's always for me, like you say, when you go into your first environment, as my first environment, the, the, the major things that sink in. And when I talk about academy sessions, that's what I talk people about the difference between maybe an academy session, a grassroots session is maybe the intensity and you know, everyone's at it and everyone's going for it and they're fighting and there's battling and that's what everyone's working. You know, if you, you like you say, you come out, everyone should come out sweating going, wow, that was like an intense experience. 
I mean, I think that people that maybe that's I think that's really important that you said it a couple of times. I think for me as well, that's what I took away from my first experience in those sorts of academy environments. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and yeah, and you know that that was Aussie wanted that initially because uh, it was obviously a very it was, it was a massive project. You know, I don't think people under can can really and truly from the outside looking in see how big a project it actually was, um, and and how far Aussie and the group of staff that were there took it as well as obviously the players that were recruited which is testament to you know the likes of Sean Miguel and their team um, but the, the the main thing when we first started was he wanted uh, he wanted the players to be working and then he wanted it to be challenging and um, so you know another example I remember uh, again probably this is a month later um, and again I was working with kind of a variety of age groups because I, I wanted just to get my hands dirty I wanted to be around it as much as I could so I was doing Westway couple of days a week um, I was doing Brentford now you know twice a week with um, with the games at the weekend but I wanted to observe I wanted to watch people like Danny Buck I wanted to watch Ozzy when he was delivering I wanted to watch Stuart English with the young players who I think it was a specialist with those young players and I just wanted to observe be a sponge ask questions but I remember I was delivering a possession practice um, for I think it was an under 12 group and I was delivering it, and I, and I thought it was going okay. I, I, I felt a, a decent feel for it, uh, a decent buzz coming off the players. And then Ozzy came over beside me, watched for around five minutes, and said, "Anthony, I need you to change this. I'm going to give you five minutes to change it. And, and if you don't change it, I'm going to change it for you." And for some coaches, they weren't able to to handle that. I really enjoyed that. Um, if you want to call it working under a little bit of pressure. Um, and I tried to change it. Uh, and at the end, what I really liked about Ozzy, it wasn't a case he was trying to pick the nuts and bolts out of you and make you look like a clown. He, he wanted things to be better for the players. And he would say, I didn't like it because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, but I liked what you tried to do to change it. And then he would say, well, this is where I'm coming from. And you would leave under no illusion what he wanted. But he wouldn't hold it against you. As soon as if, if and I had many, um, if you want to call it Aussie hairdryers, if you want to call it that, but it was a case of at the end of it, you would walk out of the room and he would hold nothing against you, nor would I towards him. And I just used that as a, as a massive learning curve. And like I said, the good thing about it was you had Aussie who had that style, and then you had uh, Stuart and John who had a different style, um, and married up between the three of them. It was perfect for not only myself, but I'm sure many of the other staff down there would testify to the same. And tell us a bit about what was the methodology there? at the club what was the playing philosophy the coaching philosophy what it looked like the playing for the, the, I suppose the playing philosophy was you know wanted to be an attractive um, forward thinking exciting brand of football uh, that was the that was the playing philosophy it wouldn't be totally different to to many academies I suppose around the country I suppose the the coaching was for me the the biggest difference because one saying it again the players worked extremely hard and that was expected out of them and um, i thought we had a terrific program and um, probably you could argue we had too much variety within the program but you know you would have you know the co the teams would be in uh, three four nights a week and each day would be different so you would have a technical day you would have a uh, futsal day you would have a position specific or an individual needs day and then you would obviously have your game day um, so there was wonderful variety for the staff as well as wonderful variety for 
the players and and the coaching was I suppose the biggest thing was he wanted and this is Aussie you know came from Aussie but obviously drip fed by by other staff but practices that were bespoke so uh, highlighting individual needs of the better players because that's who we're there for um, at least 50% of the group working uh, there had to be what ifs in your session so in every session there had to be a what if question moment um, it had to be enjoyable and challenging and players had to fail uh, because obviously it can't look nice it had to look at times a little bit like organised chaos and a little bit messy um, so I suppose that would be that would be probably how I would summarise it. And the biggest thing then was the values. So, uh, you know, I spoke about the discipline and the hard work um, and he demanded that and he wanted uh, he wanted those values to shine through in, in the sessions as well where, you know, there's no excuses. Um, players get there on time. Uh, players work hard. Players react positively if things go wrong. Players conduct themselves in the right manner. Um, and then that was, you know, um, I suppose, delivered through us all. Uh, that was consistently delivered. So I suppose I've kind of rounded, I've kind of uh, spoken about a few things. But the. Um, but what about like some, for instance, like session design then in terms of like, you know, your, where do you come, you know, you've, you've been told there, uh, this is what I'm looking for. Where do you, you know, is there some sort of, what's the CPD like there you know, uh, yeah. in terms of like Brentford type sessions? In terms of the syllabus, so the syllabus was uh, it was four weeks, it was four week blocks, and you would you had different themes, and again, you know that lessened as time went on. It was there obviously from 2011, I would say, right up until 2014, 15 season, where it was you know four weeks blocked learning, um, and it was very specific. So, for example. August say was your theme was passing with a purpose and that was the theme and under the theme you had branched out and you know switching play playing in between players playing around playing through playing over uh, wall passes combination play so that would be your theme for the month and you would work your four different types of sessions towards that theme so your technical day your skill day your position specific or individual needs that would be based more so towards either player profiles or the individual needs of players and then you would have your futsal day along with your match day so i suppose we worked off different themes and different topics month by month that changed towards the end where obviously we had established ourselves as a bit of a bit of an, a bit of a reputation um, and rather than the learning being blocked he wanted to be more random uh, learning so we could tweak and and kind of flip in between different types of uh, topics um, I don't know if that explains or answers your question um, in terms of uh, designing sessions so my, a lot of my time at Brentford so when I first joined I worked with the 10s that was part time for the rest of the 2011 uh, 2012 season um, and then a tw in May 2012 I was the head coach for the 11s and 12s <clears throat> so it would be my um, remit with the coaches that were working with me to plan the session um, give them parts of the session but for them to plan themselves and to add their own personality to it whilst working towards one the theme as well as what the players needed if that makes sense interesting yeah and, and look we all know uh, you're only as good as the players you've got in the academy you've got Sean O'Connor there and Miguel Rios probably two of the best 
uh, recruiters in in academy football and football generally in the country. Um, tell us a little bit about that because you know you got how important was having those good quality players coming through, but obviously then you got a lot of rough, rough diamonds as well, I suppose. Yeah, and and again, you know, uh, Sean, you know, I hold Sean O'Connor in such high regard as I do Miguel, but Sean was the one who kind of, I suppose, opened the door for me at Brentford. So I'll always be grateful for uh, to Sean for that, and and I, and I continue to speak to Sean and liaise with Sean and take advice off Sean, and um, you know, in terms of his eye um, for for players and and the experience that he has within the game, you know, it's well documented about Jack Wilshire and. Uh, Alexi Wolby and, and people like that, but but Sean has recruited so many players, has has a vast experience of of a cycle of development for young players, and for me, you know, it's very difficult to assess potential, uh, but Sean, Sean for me, there's very few, if any, that Sean has said to me that he'll stop at a certain age and he hasn't got it right. His ability to assess potential is, um, for me, the best I've seen in the game. And in terms of Miguel, you know, Miguel, Miguel was w- was terrific, particularly with the younger age groups. Miguel done a fantastic job with the uh, the pre academy side of things and that younger age group for us. And you know, that was the last group uh, that was under 13s, 12s, 13s when the academy closed, and the majority majority of those players have gone on to sign for the likes of Chelsea, Man City, Fulham, Arsenal. Um, and again, that's testament to, to Miguel and how he recruited and I suppose their strategy and, and the, the procedures and process that they put in place and the team that they put in place and how then they branched out around London was uh, was phenomenal, really. So, listen, you can't, you can't run an academy without recruitment. Recruitment comes first. Lovely. So, listen, obviously then... Unfortunately, the, the academy closes, um, and then so you're, you're you're out of work. How, how long were you out of work for? Well, I was I was fortunate. One of the last um, tours we did at Brentford, we went to we went to Athen, uh, Athens for uh, for a week under thirteen tournament, which we actually won. Uh, Ozzy was there with myself and, and another coach, um, Aziz Akinbulu, and uh, Ozzy kind of had had said to us, "Listen, you know, there's going to be an announcement next week, and you need to you need to look after yourselves." So Ozzy was obviously as transparent as what he could be, and um, so. I actually picked up the phone to quite a few people. Chris Ramsey was one of them. Um, Steve Avery was another at Charlton. And fortunately, at the time, and you know, I'm a big believer in in uh, opportunity and timing aligning for for you to have a chance. And just at that point, Charlton were looking to recruit um, two members of staff. So Brentford closed. Uh, I think it was the end of May and. In the first week of June, I had two interviews, three interviews. I went into QPR with a couple of other members of the Brentford staff. That was through Aussie. Uh, I had a chat with Chris. Um, I went up to Hull City for an interview for the 18s job, and I went into Charlton for an interview for two positions. And uh, I got a phone call back from Hull, and I got a phone call back from Charlton. Didn't fancy moving up to Hull because uh, I just bought a house in London with my wife. And... Um, went to Charlton. So I was fortunate. I, I, I was out of work for probably three weeks before I kind of knew where my future was going to lie. Wow. That's a, 
that's pretty decent. Not bad, really, is it? No, no. <laughs> in, a fo- in, fo- in a footballing world, a lot of people might, you know, knows uh, uh, getting uh, being out of work sometimes comes with the territory for a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's probably more so associated with first team level. You know, there, yeah. it's there's not many two cases where you see people getting dismissed, you know, or made redundant from an academy point of view. So again, you know. You talk about an experience, you know, being made redundant, never nice. It, the, the hardest thing was obviously saying goodbye to the club, saying goodbye to the staff and saying goodbye to the players, uh, particularly the players. That was the hardest thing because uh, I was there for, for six seasons, you know, and you obviously create bonds and relationships and that was hard. But it's been lovely ever since because you come across them at, at different clubs and you see how they're progressing and uh, it's great, you know, you, that fills you with a little bit of pride, you know, more, no more so for me, someone like, say, Chris Meppham, you know, you talk about Sean O'Connor, Sean O'Connor sees Chris Meppham as a 15-year-old kid playing men's football at Greenford, um, brings him in, he's been told by three or four other clubs that he's not good enough, and, you know, within four years, he's playing in our first team as a full wedge international and then gets sold for £15 million. Uh, wow. What a great what a great story that is. Um, but, yeah, I think... Uh, never nice being made redundant but again like I said I was very fortunate with the timing and the opportunity that arrived at Charlton as well as at Hull and you know I had to go up there and I did an interview up there with Hull and that was a good experience I went in to see Chris and Chris was I really like Chris Ramsey I've got a lot of time for Chris Ramsey and what he what he thinks how he thinks and, and what he and how he tries to do things as probably you you well know from your time uh, at Tottenham with him but um so, so you go into so let's you go into Charlton. You take a great opportunity, and uh, tell us a bit about that. Then, what's the what are your first um, impressions? What are the what are the differences, the similarities of being at Brentford? So, I suppose the difference immediately was, and this is one thing I think again we would all acknowledge at Brentford was um, we definitely had a good group of players, and we definitely had talented players. What Brentford didn't offer I, I didn't feel enough of at the time was the opportunity and pathway to get into our first team um, so you, you, you listen you could argue about uh, were they ready <coughs> were they not but that was something for me when I immediately went into Charlton so um, that one to have South London boys um, a, a different breed to what I experienced at Brentford because at Brentford we had a lot of West London boys um middle class we had a couple of South London boys um, such as Giancarlo Poveda you know Josh Bowie and they were a different breed and I went into Charlton and you've predominantly South London boys Kent boys and they are a little bit of a different breed you know they've got a bit about them they've got a lot of personality but what Charlton offered immediately was um, a pathway as well as the opportunity so that was the biggest thing I saw at Charlton. You know, at the time, uh, Adamola Luckman was there, uh, Esri Konsa was there, uh, Carlin Grant was there. These are all boys that I had seen uh, during my time at Brentford from a distance. But then you go in, and I initially started, very family club, you know, a real community spirit to the club, uh, and that remains. But they've got very talented kids, don't get me wrong but they get an opportunity to train and then they get an opportunity to play in the first team. Uh, and, th- and that's going to continue at Charlton because of the continuity of staffing, you know, with Steve being there for so long, other members of staff being there for so long, but they've got players who are good enough. And when they're good enough, they get given an opportunity, which I think is, it's half the battle. 
Uh, and what about what, what what? Sorry to interrupt you, mate, because I know we're right. pressed for time, so we just get us get as much of this juicy right, content no as possible. So just no tell problem. us about, like, practically though, in terms of what was going on in the grass and you know the plan and the preparation. What were the differences, or you know, or the similarities? I mean, what was it a different um, sort of environment? Uh, it was different. Yeah, it was different because you know, from at Brentford, the support, the support team that you had at Brentford in terms of you know. I never even touched on the video analysis at Brentford, like unbelievable people that worked in the video analysis side of things. You know, Neil McAlergy, I think he's at Manchester United now. Um, Zahir Show, Zarius Desai. Um, I'm going to leave people out here now, but that department at Brentford was absolutely influential in supporting the programme and helping to develop players, as well as the strength and conditioning team, as well as the medical team. And at Charlton, the resources you could see were purely going towards the football department. So you were limited in terms of video analysis, even though they have a video analysis department and that's branching out now. But uh, they were limited in terms of that. Uh, the sports science program was developing, um, as well as the medical program. But you could see the majority of, of their thinking went towards the football program. And how I would describe Charlton is it's, it's a football academy that's a teaching academy. It prides itself on teaching the kids. Steve wants the players to be taught. He wants them to know detail. He wants them to uh, repeat practices for learning benefits. So there was subtle differences. But again, Steve is massive on discipline. Um, and, that, and that was seen from the outset. You know, it won't be tolerated. Players... Uh, turning up late for training um, again black boot rule which I experienced at Brentford so discipline was a, is a big big thing on, on Steve's agenda uh, but the biggest I suppose difference would be so say for example at Brentford you had you know a minimum 50% of the group working Steve wouldn't although he wouldn't want cues he would want the players to be learning so he wouldn't mind coaches stopping it going through detail uh, and stopping the group at times uh, there obviously has to be a balance you couldn't do that four days a week because you'd lose the players but um, the biggest difference was Charlton is a teaching academy I'm not saying Brentford wasn't a teaching academy we just thought in different ways at Brentford and used a variety of styles Charlton's very much a case of Steve wants coaches to get their elbows uh, get their sleeves up get their elbows dirty and go in and coach the nitty gritty detail and, and, and you know Charlton's got an unbelievable uh, phenomenal record in terms of player development, bringing players through, and now first team, you know, players all around the Premier League, Joe Gomez, all those players like that. Any lopes? What, what's the what's the secret? Why are they so successful? Why do they overperform for a Cat Two Academy? You know, why? Remember the the recent league tables that came out? They were near the top. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, um, unbelievable achievement for such a, a modest budget, most likely. Or you know, so what, what's the secret there? I think. Um... I think you can't get away from the area, first of all. Um, listen, it's a hotbed of football, South London. You know, you've got teams from up north coming down, setting up development centres in Lambeth. Um, you know, it's it's a hotbed of football, South London. So, you, one, you've got a talent pool of players and a vast talent pool of players that you can uh, select from. You know, South London, Kent, it's a huge area. They love the football. And, again, fortunately, yes, Charlton and it's taken a bit of time to get uh, to get the right people I think there uh, but Bert Dawkins is now our head of recruitment and 
And Bert is as close for me, what I've seen, to someone like uh, a Miguel and Sean. He's vast amount of experience. He's out watching games. He has great contacts. And he understands potential. Um, he understands development um, from the conversations that we have pre- frequently. Uh, so he's been vital, I think, to getting, to getting players in. And he was at the club previously left and then came back you know i think i'm sure he was the one who recruited esri concert as an example at under 11 left and then has come back and has since seen esri obviously go to brentford first and then on to aston villa i think then secondly uh, you've got the continuity of staff so steve avery has been there for nearly i think maybe if not more than 20 years that helps um, and Steve has been spearheading it and then you've got the likes of Joe Francis our head of education who's been there 19 years that helps uh, Reese Williams the lead uh, youth development coach has been there I think 14 years or 13 years so all these people Dave Chatwin the lead foundation phase coach I think has been there 9-10 years so you've got this real continuity of staff at the various stages that understand the club know how the club works understands the fabric of the community and the range of players because listen although we're in South London we are limited resource wise on where we can go and what players we can get in so we have to utilise contacts grassroots clubs Bert's experience the staff's experience Steve's experience on getting players in Um, so I think all of that helps but I think it ultimately boils down to when you get to the the top end when you get to that PDP phase if you've got players who are good enough they're going to train with the first team. They're going to get exposure to getting in front of the senior management. And if they're good enough, they're going to get a chance. So the great, there's a great story about Adi Mola Luckman. I wasn't at the club then, but Adi Mola Luckman comes in uh, with a, a London FA side, uh, under-16s game, the last game of the under-16 calendar year before their break for summer. He gets offered a scholarship after the game and within... 18 months is playing in Charlton's first team after 24 months is sold to Everton for £11 million. Wow. Uh, unbelievable. Um, but I think I, I think those three elements, you know, the area, the cont- uh, continuity of staff, uh, that, that retention I think has been crucial under various different management structures and ownership structures in difficult times and then the opportunity and pathway. That, that's so clear for me. You know, there's very few clubs in the country I think that can tell parents are under nine that listen if your kid can come through the pathway with us you're going to have a pathway at first team level I don't believe there's many clubs in the country that can offer that pathway Okay and talking about pathway then you you, you move up you move up the age groups to the, the development phase the, the end of that the, the development cycle tell us about that then what are the main challenges about that working now at the, the, the top end of the academy environment yeah, I think I think that's where I think first of all you know I think we initially spoke about personality I think my personality is more suited towards that 15s and above age group you know after a year at Brentford I then assisted uh, the under 18s for two seasons for one season under Jeremy Steele and then one season under John D'Souza and those two years were wonderful experience for me Uh, at the end of that I had a chat with Ozzy and Ozzy actually switched me with another member of staff to then lead uh, the youth development phase. So although I went back down to the 13s to 16 spectrum, Ozzy wanted me to manage staff. He wanted me not only to take an age group, I took the 15s and 16s with Danny Buck. He wanted me to 
to manage uh, members of staff. So again, going back to developing the, the staff was very high on, on the agenda at Brentford, as well as obviously doing what's right by the players. And then I come to Charlton, I was 16's lead for two years, then assistant to Sergi Baltacha, and then I've led it this season for the first time. And, and I think ultimately for me, my goal um, or my aim now is to specialise in the the 16s to 18s category because I think it's where my skill set is best suited but I also think it's the biggest uh, window of opportunity when players leave the schoolboy programme and then enter the full-time programme work if you like for the first time um, so for me that's the biggest challenge uh, is um, and what are the that, like the, what, what are the, the, the daily practical challenges that work from the players at that who are so close to the We've made it all the way and you know the older boys i mean your, your communication your motivation you talk about you know you've got a fa youth cup game coming up what's the challenges there no listen i think you know the fa youth cup first and foremost you know whether you try and play it down or not you know players put it on a pedestal staff put it on a pedestal it's the pinnacle of your, your youth playing career and it's a game fixtures that you all look forward to you know we had a wonderful experience this year against west ham united going the full round you know, finished 3-3 after extra time and we win on penalties, you know, wonderful experience for everyone involved and, you know, we weren't expected to to, to win it. So those uh, memories will will stick with the players and staff for the rest of their, of their lives, you know. Uh, brilliant. In terms of the challenges, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the, of the day, they're young adults. Um, they want to become players. I think a big thing is... Uh, Devoting time to individual players, although you manage a group of te- uh, you manage a group of, of players, it's devoting individual time to players on a daily basis. And I think you know I, I manage 22 scholars, um, 20 scholars, two extended schoolboys. And I think the biggest thing for me is yes, I'll I'll want to challenge the players daily in the group sessions. I'll want to target individual plans within. Uh, training sessions but I also want to spend time with players individually I want to spend time with players going through clips I want to spend time with players asking them how they are how they're doing if they're out injured if they've got bits and pieces going on in the background at home I want to try and get to know the player a little bit better and then it, for me it's all about the relationships then if you can uh, if you can develop those relationships you see and learn how people tick um, but then the umbrella of it is you give them the boundaries that they're allowed to operate within um, and then I've been very fortunate the players that I now um, manage with the 18s I had them as under 15s, 16s in my first year, two seasons at, at Charlton as well so they know how I work and I kind of know how they operate as well so but I think a lot of it boils down to relationships. And, and what about in terms of like tactically I mean <clears throat> how do you develop that I mean how much you take from you know the, the 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 modern game. Watching you know your Liverpools, your, your Man Cities, or the Charlton first team play, even that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think we we have a Charlton way. Um, I think most clubs have a have a way of playing now, and, and Charlton have have a way of playing that's that's been consistent. I would say for the last probably ten years. Um, you know they play two two playing systems uh, at the development stages, and I'll include that up to up to under 18s, so pre academy uh, all the way through to 18s, and that's. Um, uh, a 4-4-2 diamond and a 4-3-3 uh, naturally um, at under 23 you start to get a little bit closer to, to the first team and, and you're dictated to by obviously the players that you have um, so you know, don't get me wrong 
you know, you look at the likes of, you know, Liverpool currently and uh, Man City and you, you gain great inspiration from those type of uh, of coaches and managers. But we have a way of doing things at Charlton that is spearheaded by Steve and obviously we all fall in line with that. I think one thing that we have spoken about that, uh, at under 18 level is... Um, at Charlton, and I suppose this is probably one of the biggest differences uh, to, to my time at Brentford, is um, there's the learning to win is a is a big uh, is a big part of the Charlton way, not to the detriment of of uh, the development of the individual player, but learning how to win games of football um, becomes even more apparent. You know, the higher you get on that youth development spectrum, so 15s, 16s. And certainly as you go into 18s. And I think one thing we've spoken about quite a lot um, at the club is how do you develop, um, I suppose, excellent uh, managers? So you've got obviously development coaches, and I'll consider myself to be a developer. But how do you develop excellent managers? And, and how do you um, affect games positively from the sideline? And I'm just talking about matches now. I'm not talking about the training side of things. So you're... Tactically, if you if you change things, whether that's a change of shape, and obviously we've got two that we flirt with, uh, you know we don't uh, unless we're chasing a game. We have, if you want to call it, a plan B. If we're chasing a game, but we've got two systems that we um, that we tinker between, and then obviously a change of personnel. Um, so we speak a lot at the club about how you know how do you develop um, I don't know elite coaches that might go on from a developing a development cycle into maybe transitioning into the senior game um, and there's been examples of that at Charlton you know Nathan Jones was at Charlton under 23 coach and obviously went on to, to do a fantastic job at Luton um, so it's something that we do speak about and what about I mean yourself like obviously now you talked about the youth cup there suddenly you know results matter I mean obviously not they all matter but suddenly you know you know you win you lose you're going to win the cup you're not going to win the cup you're in the next round what was that like in terms of the pressure cooker on the sideline? You talked about it a bit there, like dealing, you know, affecting the game from the sidelines. But just tell us about the different, you know, what is different about that and then how do you deal with those additional pressures? Yeah, I think, uh, so one thing again, uh, a difference between Charlton and Brentford, uh, Brentford never done opposition analysis. So um, this is under 18s level I'm talking about now. Um, at Charlton, we do opposition analysis on a Friday. So we'd have an idea of, you know, maybe the, system that the opposition will play uh, the playing style with and without the ball um, and then set plays that would be like the, the basis of most of our meetings so straight away that was different uh, but I enjoyed that from my own learning because it was different um, it was something I never experienced before um, but it's something that Charlton have done have always done have always believed in so why would I try and you know break that curve when it's not broken so I embraced that um, in terms of uh, you know sideline behaviour and stuff, I think the biggest challenge for me personally is always trying to be the balance between you know being loud and being quiet. You know, being loud to maybe help someone or affect the team or give someone a polite reminder, or whether it's you know be silent and let them figure it out. Let me observe. Let me take a step back. I think for me currently that's one of my biggest development areas as a as a coach uh, come game day. Uh, in terms of the FA Youth Cup, you know. There was no pressure on us because, and I'm talking about this season. I remember last season we played, um, we played a non-league side last year in the first round at the Valley, and that was pressure because we were expected to win. Um, you know, you can't go out in the first round to a non-league side at the Valley. 
So there was probably more pressure in that game uh, than there was when we played West Ham United away at Dagenham because West Ham, Cat One Academy, fantastic history and tradition of developing players. And what I said to the players was, we're going to give it a real go and we're going to go toe-to-toe and playing our, trying to impose our style on it. Um, but ultimately, I've got no doubt in my mind that there'll be players in West Ham's team and there'll be players in our team that will go on and represent both first teams. And for me, that's exciting. And that was probably the most exciting part of the whole tie, was looking at our players can compete at that level. And then, you know, it was a bit of a roller coaster of a, of a cup tie, but the resilience that the group showed is something I'll always take great pride in because we went 1-0 down, 2-1 down, 3-2 down, scored with a minute to go in normal time to bring it to extra time, hit the post in extra time, and then one on penalties, 5-4. Uh, four three so so you know it was a real roller coaster but that resilience that they displayed was was something that you know forget quality forget tactics forget technical that um, personality character side for me is is a massive area you know 16s to 21s and it's something that is one of the main reasons why I want to specialise in, in the 16s to 18s age group and so I mean you, you mentioned it there so what are your aspirations in the game yourself personally. I think uh, I think currently, like I said, I, w- I want to specialise in this 16s to 18s mould of players. You know, I've had I've had uh, two years, four years at Brentford, really doing the 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, and then I've had four seasons now at Charlton doing 16s to 18s. This year being my first year to lead it um, and drive a programme, which is what I've really enjoyed doing. So I think I want to do another at least two years of really specialising in this in this age category of players but I think something that has never crossed my mind until recently was potentially transitioning uh, into first team and I think uh, it never really crossed my mind until I saw Carl Robinson work uh, up close and personal and Carl obviously you know for his age for what he's achieved promotion wise the amount of games I think he's managed over 500 games before the age of 38 didn't have a massive playing career, you know, a non-league background, non-league playing career background. Um, but his style, his manner, and then seeing him in and around the building, I suppose, inspired me a little bit to go, well, he's good on the grass. I don't think I'm bad on the grass, but it's how you deal with people and how you deal with players. And it's probably something I've, I've thought about more recently and potentially over time, you know, I'm in no rush to, to get to senior football I don't want to clamber over anyone to get to senior football, but I think eventually I wouldn't mind um, managing senior players, whether that be you know as a coach, assistant coach, a head coach. Um, eventually, you know, I'm talking maybe five to ten years down the line, maybe um, maybe put my hand to it if the opportunity arose. And what, what advice would you give to a young aspiring coach who wants to make a career in the game like you have? I think. Um, I think the the biggest thing for me is you've got to be willing uh, to go and work for very little reward. And what I mean by that is uh, monetary-wise, very little reward. There's very little reward uh, financially anywhere in youth development, so that's something you're going to have to come to terms with. But I think you're, you're going to have to get out there and watch better coaches than you work and then ask questions and get into an environment where you're developing yourself constantly. I think that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing is for me to always try and remain humble. 
uh, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunities that every single opportunity that I have. I I obviously am very grateful for the chance to come to London initially, start in Westway, work my way into an academy, and then work. I've worked bloody hard to get to where I am now. But I think you only do that by working exceptionally hard, remaining humble, and obviously continuing to work refine on your craft. Um, and you can only do that when you're surrounded by people that are better than you. So where I am now, what Steve Avery has experienced, what he's developed, what he's achieved in the game, I want to hang on to that and learn off that on a daily basis, which I have access to him because we kind of work the 18s together. So for me to have that access from for my own development is is first class. Um, well, I was going to I was so, going to say that. I mean, you've, you've been really fortunate. You've been you've you've got you've, your first academy right has been Brentford, who've surrounded by world class practitioners, who've gone on to do amazing things in the game, who've have experience, and now you're in Charlton as well. Like say Steve Avery and all those other all those other people involved in that fantastic academy. You've really been blessed in terms of being able to learn and you know get get all this 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 coaching gold and off these great people oh massively massively and you know that, that's why you know going back to someone like sean o'connor who's not a coach he's a he's a recruiter he understands development and he he opened the door for me at brentford and i would like a, we've spoken about i've been very fortunate to work in a real unique environment over there that's helped shape a lot of my values a lot of my beliefs and has given me a hell of a lot of experience and then the differences that I've experienced then at Charlton uh, under some wonderful people there and then to have Steve who I can you know lean upon um, for for advice for guidance and um, in dealing with this uh, age group of players is, as I, I have been lucky um, but I think I've made my own luck at times I've I, I do work hard um, I think you have to work hard I think that is a given but I, I also think you have to be willing to go and do a little bit more um, to learn off people who are better than you, um, and I think ultimately, you know, that that's that's how you do learn. Uh, that's how you try and figure out your own uh, beliefs, your own values, uh, and uh, and ultimately, you know, personality is something we've spoken a lot about. How you then you impart your personality uh, onto the training pitch, onto the players, and into relationships. Anthony, thanks very much, mate. It's been first class. Thanks a million, Saul, for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.